0: Well guess what, we're not turning to Second Peter this morning, we finished that book last week and today I'm going to end throughout the month of uh, May, it'll just be more of a topical approach to uh, our times in, of study on Sunday mornings, uh, we'll start the book of John, the Gospel of John, beginning in the month of, of June. But this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it was read for you earlier, the passage that we will be considering this morning. I thought this was a great text to prepare our hearts for the communion table and just be reminded of probably the most important doctrine in the Bible. Uh, This is a incredible passage and one commentator said this is probably in the book of Corinthians at least, 2nd Corinthians, probably the most doctrinal section of that particular letter. 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verses 18 through 21 will be the focus of what I want to speak about. You notice in uh, this these uh, five verses or four verses Um, two things, two major things are being taught. One is that God has reconciled us to himself. You see that in verse 18. God has brought enemies together. God has reconciled us to himself. And the second point that you will see in this section is we are now given the duty to be ministers of reconciliation, we have been given, given the word of reconciliation, verse 19. We are ambassadors for Christ, we see in verse 20. So those are two main points of this section. I just want to talk briefly about that as an overview, and then we'll go into the verses specifically in uh, in just a few moments. But let me just say something about this to start out with. From previous studies that we have done in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 and 2 specifically, you will know that in the heart of every person in every culture, there is an awareness and knowledge of God. May not be the God of the Bible, but there is a knowledge of God in every person on the planet. We see that he sees in creation, the evidence of it. He sees in conscience, the law written in his heart. That's Romans chapter two. Everybody, everybody on the planet is like that. And the second thing we can say from Romans is everybody on the planet who knows about God, a God, Believes that there's something wrong between them and that God. There's something amiss in my relationship to that God. Everybody knows that. Reason I can say that is look at the world. Look at all the religions in the world. Attempts by man to somehow appease that God or their God, seeking to do something. To be on good terms with their God. And that's why you have so many religions, because that's what religion is. And I want to somehow make amends for my perceived, whatever they are, sins. And so you look at the requirements that so many different religions tell you to do to appease your God. You have people who will pr- say prayer and fasting and penance, and make a pilgrimage self-flagellation to beat your body uh, or make some kind of sacrifice give some kind of offering to appease your God because you have this innate thing a sense in you that you have violated that God's standards and you are separated from him and you face some kind of punishment unless you do that that's everybody Now we have Romans 1 telling us people suppress the truth, yes, but man is born with these two things that hold them accountable. Creation and conscience, you can see those things. But the Bible makes it clear that this is a true true way of thinking. It's a true way to think like this because there is a rift between God and man. There is a huge chasm that exists between God and man. And somehow you have to bridge that chasm. Get over it. Because there's a separation between God and man. When Satan got kicked out of heaven and convinced the human race to join him, war began. War between God and man began. And uh, it, it, the whole human race plunged into sin and has been at war and hostile enemies to God ever since. There's enmity between God and man. That's our natural state. It's our natural state. And we're thus banished to hell for all eternity, the Bible says, because we are enemies of God. And if we're left to ourselves, we'd be perfectly fine in that condition. And there's nothing we can do to somehow make things right between us and God ourselves. Here's a verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 7 because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. People might invent gods that they like. They might invent gods that accommodate their lifestyle. But the God of the Bible, they hate. And they hate his law. And they hate him and they're at war with him and they're hostile towards him and they're not even able to improve the relationship if they wanted to. There's nothing man can do to cross that bridge of that chasm that separates him from God. Nothing. Nothing absolutely nothing. He's not even able to do so. And so we understand that we have this problem, and we misunderstand if we think we can do something to fix the problem. And a lot of people think they can somehow appease God, their God, or the God, or God and, and fix the problem. Their achievements can do it, their human efforts can do it, but the Bible is clear. There's nothing for man that man can do. And these verses tell us that God did something. God did something. He reconciled himself. He reconciled himself to us. The work has been done. And God is the one that did that. And he did that through the person and work of Christ. He's the one that bridged that great chasm of separation. And he did it through Christ and he sent his son so who would ever repent and receive Christ can be reconciled to God see you're an enemy of God and you need to be reconciled to God you come into this world as an enemy and he has done something that you might be reconciled to him Christ is the one that appeased the anger of a holy God for you. You can't do it. You can't burn enough candles. You can't pray enough prayers. You can't give enough money. You can't, you can't beat yourself up. You can't make, make pilgrimages and think you're going to somehow appease God. God has done that work for us in Christ. That is the main message of this passage, main message of the Bible. And so he extends an invitation of peace, peace with God. Not peaceful, tranquil feelings, but to be at peace with him. He extends that invitation to everyone on the planet. Be reconciled to God. God says, I've reconciled you to me in Christ. The second point, and I'm giving an overview of these verses I'm considering this morning, but the second major point of these, as I said earlier, is that who is going to tell people? Who is going to tell people about this? Who is going to tell people that God has made reconciliation possible? And that's what you see here in these verses as well. We have been called to, we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. We have been given the word of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. Turn with me to Romans 10. Hold your hand here in 2 Corinthians and turn over to Romans chapter 10. I took you to this a few weeks ago, and I just want to remind you of this. Uh, who, Who can tell, who is going to tell people, or excuse me, how are people going to know what Christ has done and that they can have, can be rescued from, from death and hell? Who, who, how, can that, how can people find out this? In Romans 10, just as by way of reminder, says this, verses 9, and start with verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Then Paul poses the question, how will they call on him? Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Uh, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. Uh, verse 13, Forever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Then verse 15, How will they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, excuse me, who bring the message of good news or bring, or bring good news of good things. Ephesians 6 is interesting. You don't have to turn there. But Ephesians 6, when he's describing the armor of God, he talks about the feet of the soldier. The feet is shod with the gospel of peace. We are to be those who take the gospel, the gospel of peace, Great analogy, our feet are to run out into the world and to proclaim the gospel of peace. That's reconciliation. God has made peace with God possible in Christ. And we're to take that message into the world. They will not hear it unless we tell it to them. And that's why we've been given this duty in these verses to be ambassadors for Christ. So that is the main point of these verses. God has reconciled us to himself and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And the word reconciled, go back to 2 Corinthians 5, is used five times in 18 through 21 of 2 Corinthians 5. Notice with me, how Paul explains this beginning in verse 18 with this announcement. The announcement that he makes is this, Now all things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All things refers back to verse 17 where new creatures, uh, anybody who's in Christ Jesus is a new creation, talking about, Uh, the things that came from God. All things are from God. He is the source of all things. Uh, Transformation comes from God, verse 17. He's saying all this is from God. He's the source of everything. Uh, And we put our faith in him. And he's the initiator of all things. That's important to understand. He is the one that initiates this. Man does not initiate this reconciliation. We can't take any credit. He starts it out that way. All things are from God. All glory goes to Him. You have a changed life this morning by Christ. You take no credit for that. You didn't change yourself. He changed you. That comes from God. He gets all the credit and all the glory. He's the reconciler. We're not. Very important. He's the one that established this friendly relationship that he can have with his enemies. We did not. We try to. We try to. People do it all around the world, but not with our God, not with the true God. Not with the true God. You can only be reconciled, this verse tells us, through the death of Christ. He's the peace offering. He's the one that satisfied the holy wrath of God and the demands of God's justice. Verse 6 of Romans 5. You don't have to turn there, but listen to this. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, meaning we could do nothing, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, that's us, Verse 10 of Romans 5 says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Same thing we're seeing here in 2 Corinthians. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. Turn to Colossians for a moment. Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure, Colossians 1, verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him, notice, to reconcile all things to himself, having, notice, made peace through the blood of the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Same message. Message of reconciliation all over the Bible, all over the writings of Paul especially. What's interesting to me, folks, Is when there's a conflict between two people you usually expect the one who did the offending to go and make things right right that is not what's happening here the one who has been offended is coming to make things right this is totally backwards totally backwards to our thinking we would do nothing we could do nothing But here the one who's been offended makes things right. There's no other God in any other system that does this. Understand that. There is no false, no God, no false God of the world religions that acts this way. Those gods simply make demands. Those gods simply uh, burden people. Those gods are not viewed as benevolent gods at all. Not gracious gods, not loving gods in any way. They're not that way. Only Christianity has a God like this, is my point. This is unique to Christianity, that we have a God who took the initiative to reconcile us to himself, and he's the one that's been offended. It's very important. Very important. I have heard some say, who are Roman Catholic, who I would ask, why do you pray to Mary every time something seems to go wrong? And I'm not saying this is true of every Roman Catholic, but it seems to be in the ones I've talked to. Mary is prayed to an awful lot when things go wrong. Appeal to Mary. And the reason I answer, I would get many times is because Mary, well, she's more gentle, she's more loving. If you want to get to her son, the best way to do that is to go through the mother. God's the kind of the bad guy. Jesus is a little better, but then you've got Mary, and you can just go to Mary because she's easier to talk to. Folks, I just say this, Mary has never heard anybody's prayer. Do you understand that? Mary has heard nobody's prayer ever. Our God is a God of love. Yes, he is a God of wrath and justice. He is a God who's been offended, but yet he is a God who so loves us that he initiates reconciliation. He does what you cannot do for yourself. He does what you would never want to do for yourself, and that is he reconciles you to himself. Get that down. This is Christianity 101. This is what Christianity is when the rest of the world is not. Our God is a benevolent, loving God. Justice and wrath, yes. But he's also a God of mercy and grace. He's shown that by reconciliation. He's He's... he's just turned the normal order upside down notice in verse 19 how Paul expands on this namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself don't misunderstand the whole world is saved by what I just read Do you understand that universalists like to use this verse it's not what it's saying it's not saying that, okay, Christ died on the cross, therefore the whole world is now saved. It's not saying that. That would contradict a slew of verses in the Bible. That is not true. That's a heretical belief. Everybody is not going to heaven. That's not what that verse is teaching. That verse is not saying God has not counted all the sin, it has withheld counting all the sins from all the people in the world. That's not true. He's talking about the sphere of mankind. He's talking about the message of reconciliation is for the whole world. It's not just for Jews only, it's a message that goes out to everyone. Important message as we're moving through the revelation of the New Testament, and it becomes evident that the message is going to Gentiles as well. This is an important issue in the early church. Paul says in Ephesians 2, Christ has torn down that wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. This is a message for everyone in the whole world. He came to reconcile not just the Jews, A lot of people thought that. A lot of people thought that. But now he's Gentiles are included in that. And you and I need to be very thankful for that. I heard one guy say it this way. Everybody is now savable. You follow me? Everybody's savable now. I have a message to preach to everybody. You're savable. Doesn't mean you are, but you could be. By faith and repentance and what Christ has done. Very important distinction. That word not counting, Jesus could have done two things. Jesus could have, he could have counted or he could have canceled them. He could have counted my sins against me or he could have canceled them. And that's what he did. His death by mess it by reconciliation, no longer counts my sins, or holds my sins against me or against you. As a Christian, it's based on imputation. Understand imputation. Imputation is a um, a word a word of finance. In the financial world, it means to credit to somebody's account. You've heard us use this word many times. The doctrine of, uh, of imputation, transferring or something to somebody else's account. Go down to verse 21. You'll see it there. He made him who knew no sin. Are you in 2 Corinthians 5 or if I ever get you out of Colossians? All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. you got got 15 Greek words in this whole verse. And yet, this is the basis of reconciliation right here. This is the basis of it. This is how God can justify, uh, can justly uh, reconcile to himself guilty sinners. He's a holy God. How can you reconcile guilty sinners to yourself? This tells you how he can do that. Because he made him who was sinless to be sin on our behalf. And you have to be careful here too, because we're not saying that Jesus became a sinner. When he was on the cross, does not mean, when this this verse does not mean Jesus became a sinner, he never was a sinner. Uh, we're told in Hebrews 4.15 that he was our uh, high priest and he was without sin. We're told in 1 Peter two, 2 he committed no sin. We're told in 1 John 3.5 in him was no sin. Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. Uh, the thief on the cross said, he's innocent, we're, I'm guilty. The Roman centurion at the cross said, this was truly an innocent man. Hey listen, there was no sin in Jesus. So when I say that He who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. I'm not saying he became a sinner. What I am saying is this. On the cross, God treated Jesus like a sinner. That's what it means. He treated Christ like he was a sinner. And he poured out wrath on him because the wages of sin is death. And he poured that out on Christ in our place. That's what that means. He treated him like a sinner. No more than if you brought a lamb in here and said, this lamb is going to be sacrificed for my sins. The lamb is not the sinner. He's going to be treated like one. So he treated him like he committed all our sin. Just think of all your sin just this week. Multiply that times a year, and then how many old, how old you are, and oh my gosh, and how many of us in this room, and how many of us are on this planet. I mean, really, all the sins of all the world. Go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verse 4 of Isaiah 53. It's somewhere after Psalms and some place time before you get to Jeremiah. Isaiah fifty three. You need to know these verses and maybe even memorize some of them if you haven't. Are great verses when you're sharing with people to have these verses especially in mind. This great description of what I mean by substitution. Took my sin on himself. Surely our griefs, he verse four, surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. God did this to him. God did this to him. Not Romans, yeah, were instruments and and Jewish leaders, yeah, they were instruments in God's hand, but God did this to Jesus so that he could be our substitute and die in our place. Look at verse 5. But he was pierced through, notice, for our transgressions. Substitutionary language here. Our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on him, and by his scourging we are healed. Verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Look at verse 10. But the Lord, God, was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. He was a guilt offering. You think of that when you take communion this morning. He was a guilt offering. I am guilty. He was an offering for my guilt. Verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, notice, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. You get it? This is the important doctrine of the Bible. This is Christianity. This is what we mean. God did something for us in bringing us into a right relationship with himself. He did this. And he did it through imputation. He did it through substitution. And this is the basis for our justification right here. Go back to 2 Corinthians 5. Notice he says, so that we might become, in verse 21, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You've heard me say this over and over. The one thing I need is righteousness I need righteousness to stand before a holy God? I'm required to be a righteous person to stand in the presence of a holy God? Really? I can't do that. He did that for me. He did that for me. He provided that righteousness so that he could declare me righteous. He treats us like we never sinned because Christ never sinned. He treats Christ like he committed all of my sins. He treats me like I never sinned, like I lived Christ's life. You always wonder, you always wonder, Jesus, why didn't you just come on Friday and die on Sunday? Why spend 33 years here? Why not just get it all over with in one weekend? It's because he needed to live a holy and righteous life, folks. So that holy and righteous life could be transferred to my account. He needed to keep the law of God perfectly, something I can never do, but yet is required. He had to do that for us. I need both his life and I need his death. John the Baptist didn't want to baptize him. No, uh, you should be baptizing me. Jesus says, no, baptize me so that the, the law will be fulfilled. Why? Because my life is about fulfilling the law. I'm here for 33 years to do what humanity cannot do, and that is to fulfill the law, to keep the Ten Commandments, to do what God requires. Nobody can do that. I can do that. I'm doing that on behalf of everybody else. Listen, folks, I need righteousness to stand before a holy God. I need I need perfection to stand before a holy God, and I don't have it, and I never will. But Jesus did. And the reason I'm reconciled to God is because he paid for my sin, and he lived a holy life, and both of those are transferred to my account. That's imputation. And God can say, justified, He's talking about me now because of faith in Christ, not because of my own righteousness. I don't have any, but he does. He treats us like we never sinned. And so the question is, how does all this relate to us this morning? And that takes us back to verse 18. It relates to us because he says, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us a duty Then he says in verse 19, namely that Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. We saw all that, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He could have given the job to angels. Sometimes I think, you know, that would have been better. Holy angels get this job. Angels appear with the gospel. Hey, that'll be powerful. People will believe that quickly. But you chose us to be ministers of reconciliation. We have something angels don't have, and that is we get to experience redemption. Holy angels don't need to be redeemed. Fallen angels can't be redeemed. Jesus did not become an angel. He became a man. So forget them. It's us. It's us. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is our duty. If you're one who has been reconciled to God, you now have a duty to tell others how they too can be at peace with God. They can be reconciled to God. Listen, do you know how to share the gospel with somebody? Ask yourself that question. This is a basic question and don't raise your hand, but do you know how to share the gospel with somebody? I, I know you hear us say it all the time, I know you're exposed to it all the time, but could you really sit down and articulate it to somebody? You need to practice this. You need to know how to say it to somebody. You need to know how to articulate it. Get you a track and read it. If you need something to to use, that's no problem. But you need to know how to be a minister of reconciliation. You need to be able to tell people how they can have peace with God. By repentance, And believing in the substitutionary work of the cross. Another question is have you experienced it? See because you can't tell anybody about something you have not experienced. Have you experienced this? You You can have a head full of Bible knowledge and not have experienced reconciliation with God. You know that? You can have a head full of Bible knowledge and still be at war with God. Never been transformed, verse 17, a new creation in Christ. Regeneration never taken place. A Christian is one who's been regenerated, changed from within. So when you talk about sharing the gospel, that's meaningless to you if you've never experienced the gospel. So I say we we have to get involved in the mission of the church. Notice in verse 20, the mission of the church. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is a great word. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal notice through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So he's taking this to the next level. You are ministers of reconciliation. You have the word of reconciliation. You're an ambassador for Christ. Ambassador is somebody that goes to a foreign land and represents a king in another country. He goes to an alien environment and he represents the demands and requirements and the viewpoints of someone, of, his, of, of a king or leaders in another land. And that's what we are in a sense. We're in a foreign land. We're in an alien land in, in one sense. We're aliens in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we represent our king. We are the ones who uh, speak for him. So all of you are ambassadors. His question is, are you a good ambassador or not? If you're a Christian, you're an ambassador. If he's given you that duty. He, it, no matter what your profession may be, what kind of job you may have, you're an ambassador if you have been reconciled to God. And, and you know the future of that nation that that guy's an ambassador for depends on how well he represents his nation. And we want to represent Christ well. We want to speak true things about Christ. We don't want to express our own opinion. We want to express His thoughts, His mind, His words. We don't want to just express our own, what we think is right. We want to speak His words. So the question is, are you a good one or are you a bad one? Are you a good ambassador or are you a bad ambassador? Because we're all ambassadors. Because what, what, they'll watch you. People watch you, and you're giving them an impression of Christ. You are giving people an impression of Christ. And just ask yourself what kind of impression am I giving of Christ? We've all been given the word of reconciliation, we are all ambassadors. And see, so you see in the rest of that verse as though God were making an appeal through us. God is personally pleading with people through us, begging men and women to be reconciled. Because hell is the only option. It's hell. And that's eternal, and that's forever. We don't see people, you see back in verse 16 of this chapter, we don't see people the way we used to see them. We see them now as an eternal soul, and they're going to spend eternity somewhere, heaven or hell. We just used to think of people externally, you see this person, that person. No, as believers, our mindset has been changed. Now we see people as eternal souls. Everybody's going to live forever. Where are they going to live, heaven or hell? So, we, in a sense, we stand in the gap. Of course, Christ is the mediator, but we stand in the gap uh, as messengers. And he accomplished the peace. We proclaim the peace, right? We proclaim that. We're, we've been chosen by God to get the word out. I was thinking of uh, Matthew 5, 9. You don't have to turn there, but listen to this. in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 9. He says, we're to act as peacemakers, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, we're the ones that take this message of peace. Listen, you can't have truly peace with others if you're not at peace with God. <laughs> but to have peace with God, we're to, to take that message of reconciliation. It's a completed act in the past, but it's it's continuous. It's an act he did at one time in history on the cross and it continues on even to today. We're to be peacemakers as we go into the world. Peacemakers. Paul calls himself an ambassador in 619 as well of Ephesians. He says, pray. Let's turn there and I'll close with this. Pray in 619 of Ephesians. 619. Um. He asked him to pray on his behalf. Verse 19, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. This is in 619 of Ephesians. For which I am an ambassador in chains. In other words, he's in prison. That in proclaiming it, I may speak, notice, boldly as I ought to speak. That ought to be our prayer, right? Help me speak boldly, God. God. Use me as your ambassador today and help me speak boldly. Turn over to Colossians chapter 4, next book over. Or, no, excuse me, Philippians and Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. He says in verse 2 Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert. Colossians 4 2. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. Notice that God will open us to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison. Notice this, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. God, give me boldness to speak. God, open doors of opportunity for me to speak. And God, help me make it clear when I do speak. That should be our prayer. That's what an ambassador wants to do. I want to rightly represent Christ. I, really, I want to rightly be a minister of reconciliation telling people how this, they can be at peace with God. If you're here this morning and you're not at peace with God and you've not been reconciled to God, our invitation to you is put your faith in Christ. There's no other way to be at peace with God. Trust in Him. Trust in that substitutionary work of the cross and what we celebrate at the communion table this morning reminding us of that, that He did it all for us I can't do anything. He did it for us. And then let's commit ourselves as a church to be ambassadors for Christ and even the hostility of this culture to be ambassadors for Christ. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to gather around this table this morning. We just praise you for what it teaches us, and reminds us of. We just thank you for the work of reconciliation for us.